It's really great to be back here. I love coming here to see y'all. Um, some of y'all know me. My name's Shay. Some of y'all know my family or have met my family, my wife, Catherine. And um, if you know us and maybe you immediately recognize, we have a large family. We have eight children, and since I was here last, we now uh, have a ninth on the way. And so there's many things I know about children, but one thing I know for sure is um, they love stories. And my kids are always asking me to tell stories, particularly at night when I'm tucking them in, I'll hear, Daddy, can you tell us a story? Yeah, I don't have any stories. I don't care, just make one up. I'm like, okay. So often I make up stories, and I'll use the setting around us like the marsh and the creeks, and come up with these stories, and I'll impose the kids' personalities on the little critters. Um, there's, a, there's been a story about a fiddler crab village. I think that's come back a couple of times, where like a heron comes to attack the village every night, and they have to come up with a plan. And another one's about a blue crab and a dolphin teaming up to slay this evil shark. But as they're listening, they are just so into it, hanging on every word as I'm making them up, like one word at a time. And, and I love it because they, they, their imaginations are so captivated. Like, I can tell they're just in the story, deep in their imagination. You know, they're like in the fiddler crab holes. Um, when I read aloud in the house, this happens too. It's not just when I make up stories. But for the past year and a half or so, we've been going through a book series called The Wing Feather Saga, which I highly recommend. It's a must-read for all families. Jeffers, you should order that. I know your kids will like it. Um, but a few of the main characters, there's these two brothers, Janner and Tink, and there's a little sister. And, and the author, Andrew Peterson, he does a really good job of le leaving you hanging at the end of each chapter. So when you get to the end of a chapter, like, you, you want to keep going. So when I get to the end of a chapter and I stop and close the book, you know, my, my son will just have this thousand-yard stare because he's there. Like, he is Janner Wingfeather, and, and, and he'll just say, you have to keep reading don't stop, don't stop, and, and, and it's wonderful, and it's particularly wonderful with, with those stories, because in those stories, there's these deep gospel truths that they get to experience in, in their minds and in their hearts. Um, the author, Andrew Peterson, I've heard him say before, if you want a child to know the truth, you teach him the truth. If you want a child to love the truth, you tell him a story. And if you've spent any time in the Gospels, you may have picked up on the fact that Jesus knows this truth in the power of storytelling. Um, and today we're going to talk about parables, which are little stories, as we'll see. And we're going to talk about why Jesus uses parables to teach about his kingdom. So let me tell you a little about what a parable is. So the word parable is a Greek word. Two words put together, a compound word. Parabolos, or balo, sorry. Parabolo. Para is a preposition near or alongside, and balo is to throw or cast. So literally, it's something that's, it's a story that's thrown alongside us. It's, it's thrown alongside the reality around us, and, and it's a teaching device. We're meant to see this story and it sheds light on what's going on in the world around us. In the gospel reading, Jesus' disciples ask him, away from the crowd, they say, so why do you speak to them in parables? And he seems to give an answer that 
is a little bit confusing and just leads to more questions. He says, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So, in other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, You have been given the privilege of being with me, hearing my teachings about the kingdom of heaven. These crowds don't know yet. I'm going to tell them in these little stories called parables, so that the kingdom of heaven can be revealed to them in a new light in this way, and, and they'll come to know as well. But he goes on to lay out this principle that we need to take to heart if we're to understand Jesus' parables. Uh, he says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, so what's he saying? To the one who has what? More will be given. And, and what's going to be given? And, and to the one who doesn't have, doesn't have what? What's going to be taken away? So the answer seems to be understanding. So, so the one who has understanding, understanding will be given more understanding. And the one who doesn't, even what little he has, will be taken away. Now this is not some mystical revelation, um, but it's a basic principle of life. And it's laid out many times in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 9 in Proverbs, it says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Now this, that characterizes Jesus' ministry. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. He's going to have an abundance of understanding. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So he's saying, those who are humble enough to fear the Lord will be given wisdom and understanding through my parables. And they'll continue to grow in their understanding. You might even say, those who hear my stories like a child, with the ears of a child, the humble ears of a child, will gain understanding. But the scoffers, those prideful ones who hear my parables, they will reject wisdom and understanding and continue down this dark hole of pridefulness that they've made for themselves until there's nothing left. Not a, not a, not a, a, a glimpse of light. Um, and, and the little understanding that they do have will be taken away. So that's what he's saying. So the question for us is, can we hear Jesus' parables like a child? You know, can we meditate on them deeply? Can we get lost in them with that thousand-yard stare? Or, or do we just yawn when we hear them? So in the parable of the sower that you heard read, you know, what kind of soil are you? Meditate on that. You know? do, do the thorns of the world drag you down and kind of choke out your allegiance to the kingdom? Um, you know, love of money, worry, anxiety, you name it. Are the rocks that prevent the good news from taking root in your life? Or what are they? Think about that. What are some lies you may have been believing? Maybe the accuser's telling you that you're not good enough, that you've done too many bad things and you can't be forgiven. You're beyond that. You're not worthy. Or maybe there's even just abuse that you've suffered that you still have to deal with professionally, but you're too prideful to, to go, go for help. Maybe it's something like that. Those things stick with us for a time. So how can we ask God to amend the soil of our lives, the soil of our hearts, and, and just tear out the rocks, rip off the vines, so that 
we can make way for his loving rule and freeing rule in our life in his kingdom. So these are the types of questions that we ought to be thinking about as we ingest these parables and meditate on them. So it's, it's pondering with humility, that's what it is, that can lead us to a real awakening, to the realization that God's kingdom is right here around us. So what Jesus is doing ultimately with these is he's trying to wake us up. He's preaching like a prophet to a lost generation to wake them up. That's what he's doing in this scene. When you look at how Jesus responds to the disciples' question about parables, you hear him quote the prophet Isaiah. The scripture he quotes from that we read earlier is from Isaiah 6. It's the calling of Isaiah to that prophetic ministry. He says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. For with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So Jesus knows that the crowd's ears can't hear, their eyes can't see, and their whole hearts are dull. They're asleep, but he wants to heal them. So how on earth might a parable heal them? So digging a little bit more into the ministry of Isaiah the prophet, you see a refrain pop up over and over again, the same theme in, that involves language around waking up. Uh, you'll, you'll see the words, awake, awake, O sleeper, lift up your eyes, listen, hear, understand, wake up. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing with the parables. Sometimes he'd tell this full story, like, like the parable of the sower that we heard, or the prodigal son, and other times, he'll just give a little one-liner analogy. Um, if you were to keep reading chapter 13 of Matthew, you'd hear him say, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And that's the whole parable. But even the simplest, smallest images contain stories, and they provoke thoughts and questions, and we're meant to meditate on them. Now, any story has the ability to draw us in like that and to take us to a different place in our imaginations. But parables don't stop there. The end goal of a parable is not just to expand our imagination or to remove you from reality, but it's to wake us up. One of the reasons we love Netflix and Prime Video so much is that, that there's this immediate ticket out of reality that we can leave and just fully immerse ourselves in this make-believe world that somebody else created and we can escape. You know, abusing it leads to a way of escape. And, and ultimately, spiritually speaking, it has the capacity to put us to sleep. And sometimes physically asleep as well, if you're like me. But here's how Jesus' parables work. He does want us to fully enter the scene that we're hearing, the scene that he's painting for us. He wants us to go there in our minds, in our imaginations. But then he says, now wake up. This is real. This is what's going on around you. This is your reality. The reality of my kingdom is right here with you. Awake, O sleeper. So with the parable of the sower, he's saying, you're the soil. What are you going to do? So do you feel the thorns of the world constricting you from growing in the Lord? Do you feel the rocks in the way, the spiritual rocks keeping you from growing and flourishing like the child of God that he's redeemed you to be? You know, think on these things. Wake up. That's what he's saying. 
in order to explain a parable further, I'm going to give you a parable to tell you about parables. And I'm going to use a scene from Narnia, um, which I tend to do whenever I'm here for some reason. I was telling somebody that earlier. This is from The Silver Chair. Um, there's this scene. It's fantastic. It's underground. This evil queen of Underland is holding Jill, Eustace, and Puddleglum the Marshwiggle captive in her underground lair. And it's this huge city-like complex. There's no sign of the world above. It's probably like the Fiddler Crab Village. And the queen tries to convince them there, there is no world of, above, that, that there's nothing outside her realm. So she fills the room with this drowsy smell from a fire and, and soft music. And in a very serpent-like manner, she starts spewing these lies, saying to them, there is no land called Narnia. And Puddleglum the Marshwiggle is the first to protest and say that he has come from up there. And the witch makes that idea seem ridiculous. She says, is there a country up there among the stones and the mortars of this roof? And dear Jill, poor Jill, she begins to succumb to the spell. And she says, no, I suppose that other world must be all a dream. Yes, says the witch, there never was any world but mine. Now, just before they all doze off, Puddleglum does something unexpected that completely interrupts the scene. And I'm going to read it to you. The prince and the two children were standing with their heads hung low, their cheeks flushed, their eyes half closed, the strength all gone from them, the enchantment almost complete. But Puddleglum, desperately gathering all his strength, walked over to the fire. Then he did a very brave thing. He knew it wouldn't hurt him quite as much as it would hurt a human. For his feet, which were bare, were webbed and hard and cold-blooded like a duck's. But he knew it would hurt him badly enough, and so it did. With his bare foot, he stamped on the fire, grinding a large part of it into ashes on the flat hearth. And three things happened at once. First, the sweet, heavy smell grew very much less. For though the whole fire had not been put out, a good bit of it had. And what remained smelled very largely of burnt marshwiggle, which is not at all an, an enchanting smell. This instantly made everyone's brain far clearer. The prince and the children held up their heads again and opened their eyes. Secondly, the witch, in a loud, terrible voice, uttered utterly different from all the sweet tones she'd been using up till now, called out, What are you doing? Dare to touch my fire again, mud filth, and I'll turn the blood to fire inside your veins. Thirdly, the pain itself made Puddle Glum's head for a moment perfectly clear, and he knew exactly what he really thought. There's nothing like a good shock of pain for dissolving certain kinds of magic. And Puddle Glum went on to tell the Queen of Underland exactly what he thought of her in that he was going to live like a free Narnian no matter what lies she spewed at them. It's a fantastic scene. So what I'm saying is, Jesus' parables work like that fire. They awaken us to reality, and he wants us to respond to it. Jesus wants you to step into that fire, to press into it, to ask, seek, knock, awake, O sleeper. Turn to me, I'm the king of the kingdom, he says. Be healed, change your ways, follow me. After Jesus told the parable of the sower, the disciples didn't just sit back and just rejoice that they understood the mysteries of the kingdom. 
They pressed into the fire. They asked Jesus. They said, they asked him about the parables. And they said, um, you know, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus went on to say a full explanation of the parable of the sower. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So with the explanation, we see Jesus' heart on display as he reveals the meaning of the parable. He wants us to have understanding. He wants his disciples to have understanding. And we are his disciples. He, he wants to warn us of the evil one. He wants to warn us of the trials and tribulations that are sure to come and keep us from him. He wants to warn us of the cares of the world that can corrupt our hearts. And he calls us to seek understanding so that we can bear fruit for his kingdom. He speaks these parables knowing a couple things. He speaks them knowing that he's going to bring outsiders into the fold he's going to bring insiders into a deeper understanding of his kingdom. And also that some will be driven into greater darkness because of their lack of understanding. So now, church, I'm going to speak to you. Jesus wants you to grow in understanding, in the understanding of his kingdom, in the understanding of what your life might look like under his kingship, fully surrendered to his kingship. So in his infinite wisdom, Jesus himself has instituted an enacted parable here at this table. Every week, he wants us to participate in it. We step into this story. At this table, a story is thrown alongside our lives, and we step into it. We press into that fire. Every week, we remember the story. We tell the story. We hear the story, the sacrifice of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection of our King. His body broken, blood poured out. We hear the story told, and we don't just learn the truth, but we fall in love with the truth of that story. And that's why he's given it to us. We press into it. We come to the table. We eat the bread. We drink the cup. And we let his holy fire wake us up. So with that, please pray with me. Father in heaven, that, that is exactly what we pray. We pray that your holy fire, your words, the sacrament today, through the power of your spirit, would wake us up. Shine light on the dark places in our lives. The rocks that need to be torn out, the thorns that need to be torn out and burned, and free us, Lord, from anything constraining us to fully serving you in your kingdom. We pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.